There's a song that we sometimes sing, uh, Farther Alone, I believe. Farther Alone, we'll know all about it. Farther Alone, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all in the in by and by. I've used that song before. You know, I've used it as an example in a sermon that there's some things, you know, you, you wonder, I guess I'll never get the answer to this until I meet God or until Christ returns. But I, I have to admit, person, on a personal level, I have a problem with this song. And the problem is simply this. I want answers now. <laughs> now I, I'm a fix-it man, and when something is broke, the one thing I know is, okay, it can be fixed. And I, I'm not looking for answers in the sweet by and by. I'm looking for answers right now. And that's part of the problem that I think I, I on a personal level, that I have with this song. Now, when we pray, the question is this, do we expect answers? Good response. Absolutely. Mike said absolutely. Like, okay, why am I sick? Why am I broke? Why am I going through this trial? What does God want me to do? Lord, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I turn left? What path should I take? Should I go left? Should I go right? Lord, what do you want me to do? I want answers when I ask God. And I have a real fear of living out my whole life without ever receiving an answer from God. It's almost a claustrophobic response that I get. You know, it's like I'm trapped without an answer. Uh, and, you know, when you think about being trapped without an answer, basically you're talking about being trapped without hope. And you know what it's like when you come to the end of your rope, you're hanging on, and you say, what else do I have to hope for? I don't have anything else to hope for. That, that's, what it, that's what life is, I mean, that's what it's like. Claustrophobic, trapped without an answer. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Yes, we'll understand it in the sweet by and by. Okay, I understand that there are some things that I'm not going to know the answer to. But I think, you know, sort of like that, uh, it was the Lion King, one of the first ones, and Simba's out running around, acting crazy, irresponsible. And uh, <laughs> he's staring up at the stars at night, and he hears a voice. It's the voice of his father. He says, Simba, it is time. It's time, you know. <laughs> and to me, it's time for some answers. It's <laughs> yeah, you know. Now, you think, is anything too big for God? Is getting an answer into our pea brain mind, is that beyond God's ability? I mean, think about it. How hard is this for God? I've got a question I need to answer. The creator of the universe, yet I can't get an absolute answer. And I have to resign my life to, well, Father alone will understand it. In the sweet by and by, we'll get it. We'll understand. I have to resign a life and live my life like that the rest of my life, knowing one day. Now, I want to, say that, I want to tell you, the well, number one reason we fail to get an answer, I'll tell you the reason. The risk, the, answer, the risk is too great. You know, it's like that movie, A Few Good Men. You know, and the colonel is on trial, I think, and the lawyer, whatever. Is, you know, he says, I, I, want, I want the truth and nothing but the truth. And he, the colonel says, you can't handle the truth. What was that? What was that? A few good men? Okay. You can't handle the truth. And I think a lot of times God would say that exact same phrase to us. You can't handle the truth. I mean, I want you to imagine approaching the throne of God. 
whatever that would be like. I mean, whatever translucent, glowing, blinding light, and you approach God, and you say, God, I want the truth. I want answers right now. And God falls off his throne in the floor laughing. You know. I guess I'm talking about facing God with humility. And the humility I'm talking about is, God, I want answers, but there's probably about a 95% chance I won't be able to handle the truth. That's the kind of humility I'm talking about. Let's look at Luke 12 and verse 47. Luke 12 and verse 47. It sort of reveals why we may not always get an answer. Luke 12 and verse 47. And at, at that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did accordingly to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. He's going to be beaten with many stripes. Now, I don't want to be beaten with many stripes. <laughs> so maybe I would rather not know his will. You know, maybe I'd rather play dumb. Maybe I'd rather not know. Yet we have the audacity to say, I want to know why. I want the truth. Why? Why am I sick? Why am I broke? Why am I going through this trial? Why doesn't God, what does God want me to do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I turn left? Should I turn right? And I sometimes think God might say, do you really want to know the answer? Do you really want to know the answer? Again, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will. Notice that. He did not get ready and act according to his will. Will receive a severe beating. You see, answers to questions involve solutions. And solutions involve personal responsibility. And personal responsibility involves actions on our part. Consider what Luke 12 and verse 48 tells us. I'm reading from the English Revised Version, a little bit different. But what about that servant who does not know what his master wants? He also does things that deserves punishment. But he will get less punishment than the servant who knew what he should do. Whosoever has, much, has been given much will be responsible for much. Much more will be expected from the one who has been given more. When we go to God looking for answers, we're asking a lot from God. Why would I say that? Because he has the absolute answer. He has the answer. Not part of the answer. Not maybe. Or maybe this will work. Oh, I think this will work. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure it will work or not. You know. <laughs> uh, I think this will work. He has the answer. He's God. He has the absolute answer. What is the disconnect between the two, do you think? You know, he has the answer. I've asked. He has the absolute answer. Is there a disconnect? Well, I think it can be. You know, we should never pray for answers unless we're willing to act. And I'm convinced that probably as we look at, maybe this doesn't apply to us. Maybe it does. But maybe there's a possibility that I would rather not know. I, I sometimes fit into that category. I'd probably rather not know I had cancer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd probably rather not, rather not know. Because I know what happens to me when I know. <laughs> I go nuts. Maybe we would rather play dumb. Do you realize how many people claim to have a relationship with God and love to play dumb? Just watch religion on TV. I mean, you'll see it. You know, it's like, you mean I'm supposed to believe that I, if I just give my money to this guy, this seed donation, this money that I don't have, that all of a sudden I'm going to be incredibly, incredibly blessed. You know, you, you see those people on TV. 
send in your seed, and they, they give you a guilt trip. It's as if, okay, if I give my money, all my financial problems are going to solve themselves. Is that the way God works? No, not the way he works at all. Which is easier to believe? If I just send in my donation, all my financial problems will disappear. Or is it easier to believe my financial problems are not going to disappear until I, one, get a job, two, work six days a week, three, keep the Sabbath day, Four, pay my, tithe, pay my tithes and manage my money properly. Think about it. which one's easier. Which one do I really want to believe? Oh, man, it's getting off my butt and got a job six days a week and, and keep the Sabbath and pay my tithes. I, I'm not, I would rather believe that if I just send in my donation to this minister, that everything in my financial life is going to solve itself. That's what I mean by abject stupidity when it comes to the way people can think. Which is easier to believe? That if I just, I can lower my blood pressure by taking lisinopril, or I can lower my blood pressure by losing weight, changing my diet, taking garlic and vitamins and minerals, and exercising. Which one's easier to believe? You know, I was taking that lisinopril, and I started studying on it, and that stuff is made from the venom of a poisonous snake in Brazil. I started thinking, why am I taking this stuff? You know, when it bites its prey, the, the, the critter, the animal, its blood pressure goes to zero. And it dies. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, maybe it will work. <laughs> but I found myself getting nervous, not being able to sleep at night, and, and my heart racing. And I thought, what is going on? So I cut it out. And I'm still nervous and my heart's still racing. So I, I guess it wasn't, <laughs> I guess it wasn't the, the Cinefriel or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, but again, which one is easier? I mean, if I just pop this pill, I can avoid losing weight. I can avoid changing my diet. I can avoid garlic and, and you know, minerals. And, and I, can, I can avoid exercise. That's a biggie right there. <laughs> we must be getting something out of not knowing. That's my only conclusion. We have to be getting something out of not knowing. And it's what I call the perceived benefit of not knowing. Ignorance is bliss. Um, you know, Acts 17 and verse 30 tells us this. It says, And the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Okay. Boy, that's a message, and it needs to get to this world, is it not? God commands everyone. To repent. Oh, I wish that message could be gotten to the world. But would I rather know God's will, God commands all men to repent and women, or would I rather live in ignorance? Oh, obviously our society would rather live in ignorance. I mean, I mean, it's, that's obvious. But, uh, but, you know, God I want answers, I think, starts with repentance. Okay, that's a good place to start. God commands everyone to repent. But, you know, God knows very few are going to do that. Think about that. I mean, he actually knows very few are going to repent. So God uses our inclination not to know, talking about the benefit of not knowing, to his glory. It's a great tool that God uses. We, in God's church, we know all about it. It goes like this. It's Romans 11, verse 32. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. God has shut them up in a box. The first, you know, 
I'm not a very emotional person. And I'll tell you a little secret. First time that I understood that verse, I broke down while I was driving my car. Because I thought, you mean God can do this? God can take people. I mean, there's a reason a person is an unbeliever. There's a reason a person is maybe an atheist or whatever. That God can take them, shut them in a box of unbelief and have mercy at a later time. I broke down when I realized that. I thought, wow, God is greater than anything I ever imagined in my whole life. It was so touching that, they might have, they, that, that, that he might have mercy upon all. Why? Because they don't want to know. They don't want to act. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and ways past finding out. And, and what are we talking about? We're talking about when the rest of the dead are raised. All those who never had a chance for salvation because, because they didn't want to know. Just didn't want to know. Man, our God is a gracious, merciful God. And you know, Jesus spoke of this. He said, therefore I speak I to them in parables. Because seeing, they see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. They don't want to know the benefit of not knowing. The benefit of not knowing. So God uses human inclinations to not to know. The benefit of not knowing, he uses that to his glory. But why do we maybe not want to know at times? I think sometimes we can fear the answer. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, if I thought I had, if I knew, if I thought I had cancer, I, probably, I might not want to know the answer. We fear the answer. Okay. There's a built-in safeguard system that protects our, what shall I say, vanity, ego, pride. You know, it was like Glenn Beck used the example one time. I don't know if he was actually telling a story on his wife or what, but he, he did tell the story. You know, his, his wife said, does, it, does this dress make me look fat? And he said, no, it's not the dress, it's your fat that makes you look fat. <laughs> and you think, you think, is that what my wife wants to hear? I can guarantee you not. But is it the truth? Absolute truth. The benefit of not knowing. You know, it's, it's the way we were. And if we get really honest with ourselves, and very few people get honest with themselves in that area. We, like I said, our, our ego and vanity and pride protects us from these things, of, of knowing, the, the benefit of not knowing. The question is, is it possible to know God, really know God? Is it possible to get absolute answers from God? Look at Proverbs 25 and verse 2. This tells us something about God that maybe we should think about. Proverbs 25 and verse 2. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Notice that. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Now, I admit, you know, often we want, there is, you know, we do want answers. And to search it out and to search and search and search. <laughs> but notice that first part. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. You know, often I've asked God, you know, God, why are you hiding this from me, this answer? Could be I'm not ready for the answer. Could be I'm not ready for the answer. Again, questions involve solutions. Solutions involves personal responsibilities. Personal responsibilities involves actions on our part. Let's look at some examples of absolute, absolutely knowing in the Bible. We'll look at two examples. One we'll turn to, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Paul is speaking. He says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I asked the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, 
My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I can tell you right now, I don't like that part. Uh, <laughs> Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My, my point is this, three times. You ever heard three strikes you're out? This did not go on for ten years. Lord, I need answers. Lord, I'm still looking. Lord, you know, what's that? No. Three, three times he got an answer. Did he like his answer? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> it was not an ongoing saga, is what I'm saying. Then we have the example of Jesus. He went away three times to pray. He said, let this cup pass from me. It was not a scenario that continued on for ten years. He got his answer. Now, let's put ourselves in Jesus' place. Can we see why we might not really want to know the answer? <laughs> I mean, when you think about what was the answer for Jesus? Yeah. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's tough. I can understand. I mean, I can, believe me, I, I know myself, the game I played with the benefit of not knowing. So I want to leave you three points. Number one, determine now that you are going to get an absolute answer from God. How do you do this? Be ready to act on the answer that God gives you. That's how you do it. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Expect an answer. Number two, and this one's tough. Be ready to live with the decision that you make. Accept full responsibility for, for the decision. That, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. One of the hardest things for us to do is to live with the decision that we've made. You know, when we make those hard choices for God. Why do you think that is, that is so? It's hard for us to... It, I think it's because we look at ourselves and we realize we've made a lot of mistakes. And I don't want to make another mistake. So it's hard. The hardest thing is, it's, it's, okay, to live with the decision that we make. But it takes a big person to do that. Lord, I'm going to do this. This, this is what I'm going to do. And to live with it. Suppose it's not the right decision. We struggle with that area. Number, number three, realize God places confidence in the decision that you're going to make. He does this. This is a choice a father does. When our daughter was married, Rebecca, the father-daughter dance was my little girl. Tim McGraw, the song, says, uh, Someday some boy will come and ask me for your hand. <laughs> But I won't say yes to him unless I know he has, he's half the half that makes you whole. He has a poet's soul and a heart of a man's man. I know he'll say he's in love, but between you and me, he won't be good enough. I disagree with that part. He won't be good enough. Let me tell you why I disagree with it. I think my son-in-law is good enough. It's not that I know him that good. It's because it was the decision that our daughter made. I placed trust in her decision. Therefore, it was good enough. God does the same thing for his children. He places trust in the decision that you're going to make. Let's not kid ourselves. Very few of my decisions have been perfect. <laughs> I'll tell you. But God has a unique talent and the promise is God can make all things work together for good even our imperfect decisions
Wow. You really can. So as God's people, let's remove ourselves from the benefit of not knowing. God, I am ready. And as Simba, you know, <laughs> it is time, Simba, whatever. It's time for you to get to answers. God, I, I am ready to know your truth. <laughs> 